0: This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Defoli, he'll back it up to the blue line to Zdorov. Ten seconds left. Zadorov, to Kadri, out in front, and it's knocked wide of the net by Lindholm.
1: Here's Stone to Defoli with a shot off the heel of his stick, and time runs out on the Flames at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. UC Saros, the star of the show
0: as he protects the Predators 2-1 lead in the third. They snap their three-game losing streak and the Flames two-game winning and four-game point streak. The final score in Nashville, Tennessee tonight, the Predators 2
2: and the Flames 1. Flames end their five-game road swing with a 2-1 loss last night in Nashville. Now set for four straight at home and five before the NHL's All-Star Break. Welcome to SportsNet today on this Tuesday afternoon. Logan Gordon along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios in Calgary, Alberta. Lots to get to on the show today. We'll talk lots of Calgary Flames hockey following the loss last night. The end of their five-game point streak. A 2-1 decision against the Predators. Peter Labardi is going to help us do that. We'll hear from Nikita Zadorov and Daryl Sutter, amongst others, following the loss. Tough one for the Calgary Flames. We'll also... Check in later this hour with our friends from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Bick Nazar joins us for his weekly chat and uh, perfect timing following the Jim Rutherford press conference yesterday. And coming up in hour two, Emily Sadler from Sportsnet.ca going to join us to recap. Super wildcard weekend across the NFL as we get set for four games in the divisional round this upcoming weekend. But let's waste no more time. Let's head to the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in the uh, color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960. He is Peter Labardius. He joins us every single day to kick off the program, and he is brought to you by the Gemini Group home renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group now offering Air Miles reward miles. Visit the Gemini Group. Dot C A. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, Flames end their five game road trip with a two one loss to the Nashville Predators. Hard fought game as they always are against that group in Nashville. And uh Flames five game point streak comes to an end. They're set to come back at home tomorrow night against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh give me your take on what you saw last night against the Preds, Lou.
0: You know what? I like to do this every once in a while, just because there was some very mixed thought process coming out of that game and kind of coming out of that trip from certain individuals that uh, reached out to me. So what did you think of
1: last night?
2: You know what? I didn't think it was their best effort. We had talked about, you know, some of the strong starts from this team of late, but, on a whole, I I didn't have a lot of problem with with what happened. I know Daryl Sutter talked about it post game, and I thought it was a good indication too. The face offs, you know, heavily favored Nashville, and I thought the Flames were, you know, by account of that, chasing a bit when uh, the other team was starting with possession so often. But on a whole, Lou, I didn't really have a, a whole lot of problem with what I saw last night. How about you? Well, I'm I'm somewhat mixed. I think.
0: You know, when, when you're calling a game and when you're breaking a game down, and especially, you know, when you're not in the rink, you just always have a way better feel in the arena. But the one thing that I thought a lot about last night and even this morning is I'm a big believer when your group gets dominated in the face-off circle, and they were early, it got back to more respectable. I think it ended in the neighborhood of about fifty six forty four, but coming out of the first period in particular, it was almost seventy thirty. And and that tells me that maybe the engagement level of your centers, and because they drive the lines and that drives, you know, possession and having the puck, that I didn't think the group as a whole was ready to match the desperation of the Nashville Predators. Now, you always assess games and in looking at it in marking your own team. But I don't think sometimes you can miss the fact that they play another opponent. And I thought especially in the first half of that game, Nashville's details, the pace they played at, Um, their ability to win face-offs, win board battles, limit the Flames. I thought they played a whale of a probably first two periods. So, were the Flames at their best? No, they weren't at their best. They got to a better place in the third period, and as we know, um, with a bit of a break on a video review, maybe that game gets to overtime and you come home with even one more point. But it was the start, and I was a little worried about the start, end of the trip, in Nashville, you know, a, a big win in Dallas, a little extra time on your hands. But that would be my assessment now that I've had more time to to really think about it and and watch a few more aspects of it.
2: Uh, kind of leads us nicely into uh, this clip from Nikita Zadorov post-game. He uh, was asked about his thoughts on the, on the game overall and had a similar view to you, a little bit more than maybe the first 30 minutes. Nikita wraps up what he thought he saw from his team and wasn't happy with the first two periods from his group last night in Nashville. Well, I mean, it was a pathetic effort by us, first two periods for sure. I think we were step behind. The energy wasn't there, the commitment wasn't there, we weren't shooting, we were making bad plays, we weren't giving up too many chances, so I think it was just the all-around bad effort for us in the first two periods.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, they were a half a step behind. They did not match the desperation and the energy level of their opponent. And yes, are they responsible for that? Absolutely. But I, I again, I thought for a couple of periods that was one of the better, more detailed games that an opponent has played against Calgary recently. There was not a lot not to like about, like their tracking of their forwards, um, how they clogged up the neutral zone, how they transition pucks and will take two forwards and the minute they get it, You better be ready because they're flying at you with speed. They can be big and heavy. So, yes, were the Flames at their best? No. And maybe I'm completely misreading the situation, and that's fine. I don't get them all perfect by any stretch of the imagination, as hard as I try. Um, I do. I I don't think they were at their best, and I think Nashville for 40 minutes – um, I didn't hear any of their reaction after the game, but I can't imagine in watching that game that John Hines would have been uh, very unhappy with what he saw in the first 40 for sure.
2: Uh, we'll ask you about it. I know it's, uh, it's impossible to guess. I'm sure on the broadcast you guys were having the same conversation. Uh, the Tyler Toffoli goal that gets called back after video review. How did you see that whole uh, scenario going down?
0: You know, the best way for me to answer it is when you get an opportunity, as we did last night in our room where we do the games on the road, to see a number of different angles and certainly everything that, you know, the TV people had to offer up. Um, Frankly, from one angle, it did look somewhat like a kicking motion. From another angle, it did not. And so I found myself being very torn, um and I, I I can't be overly upset about it because two guys and you know the situation room, you might have got a very different call on a different night. The referees called it a goal on the ice, which you would like to think after, you know, a few minutes of consternation Does that really, and and that's the only thing, and and maybe I'm more um, in tune with this, even because of some of the international hockey I watched in the last week, where my only thought about reviews is how long do you need to look? Now, if you're getting more angles, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. But, But can't you get to either a conclusive or inconclusive place quicker. I just think that, you know, the longer they go, that always just tells me that you didn't see something pretty quick to tell you that maybe the original call should change. That's, that's probably, and and that's not about last night either. That's about in general. I just feel you know, if a call is made and you always want to get it right, so I don't want to take that away, and you want to go through every angle and every look that you can and that and that can take some time, so I'm not losing sight of that, but when they start dragging out to five and six minutes, and I didn't time that one last night, um, you just can it really be conclusively different? if it takes that amount of time to get there.
2: Yeah, and the, like you said, there's no point in, in the guessing game with the back and forth. It, it changes so often, and there's just – you can argue it left to right, but like you said, I think even Daryl had said last night that one guy will call it a goal, one guy won't call it a goal. They think it won't be a goal. We think it will be a goal, and it's just kind of that process that we, we live with with video review now. In every single game across the league every night, that's it's, it's going to come into play and it affects games in different uh, moments. But, <clears throat> excuse me, as we uh, we look back here, Lou, I wanted to get your your thoughts now. The five-game road trip's wrapped up. It's not much time to reset before we start this homestand for the Flames. But um, after all said and done, uh, six points out of a possible ten for this group. Uh, as Daryl said, more points than losses. So that's a positive for his, or more points than games, excuse me. So that's a a positive for his group. But how do you look back on this, this five game set for the flames?
0: Well, I think the only thing that you'd really like to change is you wish the team would have played better in Chicago. That that's the one for me that is a stickler. Um, I know that you can point to that 28 second stretch in in St. Louis, where they let a three one lead go, and and that's also very fair. Um, I love the three periods in St. Louis. Uh, I thought two periods in Dallas were excellent. Um, you know, it. I think in the end, over stretches even five games at length, they probably got exactly what they deserved. They probably played well enough to get six out of ten.
2: Yeah, and now uh, an interesting stretch for this team. Colorado coming into town, the defending Stanley Cup champions. They're they're banged up, but they've got a couple guys healthy, Lou, and then all of a sudden you look, Tampa Bay's in town. There's a very interesting return next week that we'll talk about, I'm sure. As we get closer to next Monday, you get another chance at Chicago, and we know how well Seattle's been going. It's a little bit spread out, as we we talked about before the show, but it's an interesting stretch here for the team ahead of the All-Star break that starts tomorrow.
0: Yeah, well, this this is the start of where you really want to push and grab every single point you can before, you know, the 28th of this month where you go a long stretch because of the mandated CBA break combined with the All-Star break and don't return to action until February 6th in New York against the Rangers where you start another Eastern trip. So big stretch. You'd love to put yourself in a better playoff standing going in. Um, so there would be one, two, and then three more. You want to win that playoff series if you're looking at it as a best of five and maybe add another point somewhere along the lines. There's there's some winnable games there that you have to have. When I look at Columbus, when I look at Chicago at home, you've got a huge divisional game at the end of it, another back-to-back in Seattle for the second time they've been there. They come off a home game and head straight there and play the next day. And it's probably fair to suggest you'd love to get one of the next two and maybe get another point in there. So there's 10 points on the table. I think seven would be a great number going into your break.
2: I uh, wanted to ask you about Adam Brzechka. Uh seven fifty of total ice time last night. Does he need a, a bit of a reset you think?
0: Probably. Probably. That game became, I thought, a little too much for him and even Walker Dewar, who I really had liked in his, you know, first few appearances on that trip. It's you know, after a point in time, the hardest part about this league is, you know, playing well night in and night out and letting everybody know this is what you can come to expect, but that's also a process. So could he end up with a reset? Yes. But the other part about your growth and trying to get players to a better place, slogan is you have to allow people to fight through those situations. And in a lot of cases, what that really boils down to, especially where the Calgary Flames are concerned, is the leash for Daryl Sutter. And he isn't unlike anybody else in this regard. When you see a lot of promise and a lot of value in people, in regardless of the situation, whether it's their business, our business, or any other business, you're going to let the leash hang a little longer. When maybe you're not as big a fan and you're not getting the progression you want, then it becomes really tight and short. But in this case, you know, there's not been very much production.
1: The role,
0: remember though, has changed. When he was collecting a lot of those 20 points that he has this year, he was up a little higher in the depth chart. For me, there's no room for him there right now with how those groups are playing. So it's a great question. And it'll be interesting to see if there is any potential for some change where he is concerned. And then you always have to take an account. If you're looking to make a change, who are you playing against? Where do you need your strength? And, how might somebody else new, i.e. Jacob Pelche, mm-hmm. factor in depending on situation, opponent, style, and what you need from your team?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think a lot of people curious too about about Jacob Pelche and you know, as we've talked about a lot, you know, some people frustrated with his lack of usage sometimes. The reward, Lou, can be coming up and saying, hey, look, here's a a look at the NHL at a professional level. Here's an NHL paycheck for an extended period of time. There are some benefits to to Jacob coming up. I'm not saying that I I don't want to see him in the lineup. Obviously, I'd like to see him in, but it's not all doom and gloom with him not getting in on this five-game road trip.
0: No, I mean, you, again, find yourself in an NHL environment with NHL veterans, there are lots of guys on this team to look up to in terms of habits and commitment and consistency that you should try to, you know, emulate in many ways. Lots of good leaders in that respect. But you're still in the business of winning hockey games. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting because... There's always a great want from the outside to look at new people when things aren't perfect. But if you put on a coaching hat for a second and take your fan hat off, it's way easier to potentially take a look when you're in a much better situation in the standings because it isn't then necessarily life and death. You can maybe allow somebody to make some mistakes. You can give your trust leash a little longer rope. It's different when you're in this kind of a race. So unless you are 100% con- like convinced as a coach that you're going to make a move that's going to upgrade your group, I think it's for me personally, because I have a tendency to always look at it that way rather than the other way. I think it's more difficult rather than in some ways people would think it should be easy. I'm just I'm not going there unless I am absolutely convinced. Now, the other side of that is how do you know, Peter, unless you give it a look? That's also fair. But let's just remember one thing, two things. Whether you always agree or not, Daryl knows exactly what he wants. Daryl knows exactly what he likes. And here's another factor not even I have brought up. Remember that because of the Calgary Wranglers situation and playing in this building, of which his son is the captain, there is lots of intel And he's had lots of opportunities with his own eyes to observe what goes on there, which is different than in the past. When you might see reports, you might see some video. Again, it's different when you can see it with your own two eyes in the building, which Daryl has seen a number of Wrangler games and people that he is thinking about to put in his lineup.
2: Uh, Lou appreciate the time as always sir we'll uh, reconvene this chat tomorrow on a game day and uh, take a look at the Colorado Avalanche in town once again should be a, a good one on a Wednesday night enjoy the rest of your Tuesday pal
0: perfect thank you
2: thank you Lou uh, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon he's brought to you every single day by the Gemini Group home renovations your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are give your home the Gemini difference. Visit them at thegeminigroup.ca, now offering air miles, reward miles. And a quick reminder that uh, coming up this Friday and every Friday on Sportsnet today when we do our chat with Lou, we do another edition of What Does Lou Say? That one's brought to you by our friends at Roost Chris Steakhouse. Uh, If you want to enter, all you have to do, head to sportsnet.ca slash 960. Go to the contest tab. You'll see what does Lou say there. Submit a question for Peter if we answer it on a Friday you can win a $200 gift card to visit our friends at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse and a pair of lower bowl seats for an upcoming Flames game. And I don't know exactly how the timing works out, but, I mean, if you look at the calendar, uh, Friday, okay, there's a game against Tampa Bay coming up on the weekend. There's a couple games next week, an interesting one um, on Monday. There's lots of uh, interesting probabilities with what does say coming up on Friday, so... Have to get your questions in. You can't win if you don't submit a question. Sportsnet.ca slash 960 is the place to go. Go to the contest tab and you could be our next winner. We'll take a break. Come back on the other side. Uh, we'll head uh, to the West Coast see what's going on in Vancouver. These chats with Biknazar Nazar never boring thanks to the ongoing drama around the Vancouver Canucks. We'll dissect what exactly uh, Jim Rutherford uh, said and what it means for the Canucks going forward after his uh, interesting press conference yesterday. That's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
0: You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
2: Welcome back to Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960. It's Logan Gordon along with you. And I've said this a couple of times now that we've had this, uh, our next guest on a few times here. There's just always something happening around the Vancouver Canucks that makes these chats so easy. Not that you don't prep and not that you don't get ready for it, but there's just always something right on the, the tip of your tongue that you're ready to talk about. And it's certainly no different this week when we bring on our Tuesday regular here on the program. It is Bick Nazar joining us from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver and Big uh, Look, whether it was talking about Bor Horvat getting traded or the, the teams getting chanted, you know, sell the team, whatever it is. These chats just sort of make themselves happen. And that's what I love about our chats.
1: I, I was having coffee with a buddy of mine last week and he was, you know, a big Canucks fan. And he just talked to me he like, are you guys just going to talk about Bor Horvat for the next two months? And I said, have you not been paying attention for the last 18 months? <laughs> Something will happen in the next week. And you will lose your mind and forget we had this conversation that like, Oh, it's going to be boring for the next two months. No, 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 no. It's exciting every week here. Cause something's bound to happen. Uh,
2: and the latest happening is Jim Rutherford uh, coming out yesterday in a media conference um, initially to, to discuss the, the findings and the review of, of Quinn Hughes's comments about the handling of Tanner Pearson and his injury. And, that was was interesting in its own, but then the doctors split off and Jim goes to, to take every question that the media has for him. So Bicky, it was about forty plus minutes long yesterday of Jim Rutherford speaking to the media. We'll get into some of the, the specifics of it. I'm curious to get that from you, but just as a whole, what did you, you make of what you saw yesterday?
1: The the prior takeaway that I had and, and outside of like direction of the team and everything like that. And, and maybe it's just prisoner of the moment. And, and, you know, guys like us in the media, we're always sucker for a, a certain level of transparency and honesty and a good press conference. But I couldn't help but come away from that in a certain level of admiration of how much confidence Jim Rutherford has. Whether or not you want to agree with the plan or whatnot, but there was no way to step away from that and saying, especially in contrast to the previous eight years with Jim Benning, there was, it was difficult to not come away from that and saying, that is a confident guy who A really believes that they can pull off what they intend to do. You can look at some of the things and, and the reports that are coming out here and you know Rick Talk coming potentially coming in. And you know, I we were talking about it in the post team so and and I kind of said it just feels like, you know, their GM search went to the Pittsburgh guy. If they make a coaching change, it feels like they're coaching search is going to be the Pittsburgh guy and they're betting on their Pittsburgh model, which is fine. Like I get it. Like there's a certain level of who, you know, rather than what you know. And it it comes off with a little sense of hubris, I guess, to say, Hey, what we did in Pittsburgh, absolutely going to work in in Vancouver. But then you listen to him talk and man, it's it's, it's hard not to be blown away by the level of confidence that he's going to have in, in what they can pull off.
2: I don't know if this has always been the narrative since the the front office changes, but it certainly struck me yesterday more than it ever has, Bick. And I'm curious if you agree or not. This is Jim Rutherford's team, not Patrick Alvines.
1: I'm not sure if I totally agree with that. Okay. Um, Just because like Jim himself has been on record talking about that he's separated from the day-to-day that he he's happy to share his opinion and be involved in in, in the discussions constantly and is there a certain outlay of vision presented from Jim Rutherford to, down towards Patrick Alvine? sure but as far as the day-to-day operations I still very much get the sense that it, it, it's Patrick Alvine on the wheel Jim Rutherford may have just designed the car.
2: Okay, and fair enough. I just I found it really interesting to hear a guy talk like that, and for me, and I hey, I'm sure there are scheduling things and other things that go into it. It just when a guy was talking so candidly about the plans and the future of this team, to not have the guy that's actually supposed to be pulling the trigger there to answer it, and there in the same sense, and we know Jim loves the mic and he loves these well, these opportunities. The it just seems I, strange.
1: That's the thing I was going to say. It's it's also. One person loves the battle yes. of dealing with the media, and I should <laughs> say, like, I think part of this, and, and Jim even said yesterday, like you know, he's excited for the challenge, and I'm sure you read Elliot Friedman's uh, 32 thoughts that we got posted last night. Just the idea of wanting to be in the Canadian market and dealing with the media and always being in the limelight with 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 all the pressure and and the questions and and the media attention. Not not just here in Vancouver, but. Here I am talking in Calgary, across the nation, across the NHL. I think he's enjoying this part. And so we can sit here and say, boy, it's a lot of pressure. If you enjoy that pressure, who cares what the rest of the world thinks?
2: Uh, let's talk about some of the specifics uh, that came out of that uh, presser yesterday, Bick. And I, I guess the first one is the one that's sort of been unspokenly true the last couple of weeks here from NHL insiders to almost confirmation of it yesterday. Bruce Boudreau is the coach of this team right now, as Jim Rutherford said, but that's clearly uh, a ticking time bomb and won't be the case for much longer.
1: the The old public vote of confidence is uh, never a great thing. Uh, I, I, I've never had one myself, so I, I'm not sure how to totally feel. Um, you know, it's 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 just bizarre. from uh, From from one standpoint, like I kind of understand the, the the position. This this management group was put in. This wasn't their coach. It wasn't even their contract that they gave him out. They're living this reality. It's frustrating for for everyone else, media and fans alike, to say, well, you're not really enacting your plan if this isn't your guy, and yet they've decided to not even remove him from the situation because, you know, why play that card to ownership? So if if I'm in their shoes, I'm probably doing it this way too. It just comes with the this massive fire blast of having to do with people like us saying, this is not how you treat a head coach. And, and you know, from for my position, I would say it's not how you treat uh, someone that you intend to remove. And at the same time, I kind of just look into, like, would Bruce Bruger rather be coaching or not? And maybe those discussions have been had. I, I would highly doubt that because that's highly irregular. But it, it, like ultimately, we're we're going to get to the destination of of what makes the most sense, and what makes the most sense is always hiring your own guy. It's just peculiar to, to, to extend it this way here.
2: I won't dive into the Rick Tocket thing. I think that's that's for another day, and we can discuss that if and when that, that becomes official uh, as far as the coaching staff goes. I know – I can't remember if it was Elliot who threw it out that Sergei Gonchar was a name that was associated mm-hmm. with that. That's an interesting one there as well. Um, you're right, the, the Pittsburgh connections never seem to end uh, when it comes, not to
1: mention, like they the, 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 they also brought in uh, Derek Clancy, who's affiliated with Pittsburgh yes. as well. So right, like they, they, it's been nonstop on the idea of like the Penguins are going to resurface here in Vancouver.
2: Yeah, which is which is uh, fine and good. It's you're just a Crosby and a Malkin away from from recreating. Sure. Right? Yeah. Hundred yeah. no, <laughs> percent. The easiest pieces to bring in are those two. Um, I'm curious how, it's, how the, it's been recepted in Vancouver, Bick, the the comments about Bo Horvat because I, I was really stunned to hear him say, hey, look, we put our, our best foot forward on the table and we're just not willing to, to pay for what he's been this year. That seems like a very interesting take for a guy that's paid up for other guys like Besser and JT Miller's gotten his money, but there's just no money to make it work for Bo Horvat.
1: Uh, surprising comments and, and Bo, you know, for a a lot of Cubs fans, he's become this, um, lightning rod player. And I'm not even sure if that's fair. Like for someone like myself, and we talked about in the post-game show, like I understand why they're taking this approach, right? I know he's scoring, but you know, for me, my centers, I've always wanted to see responsible defensive play, facilitate play for others. And then, Hey, if you score goals, fantastic. And, Bo's scoring goals right now, but he's not checking the other two boxes and really throughout the course of his career hasn't. And so I've been, generally speaking, a bit more critical. So I understand this path, why they've taken this, and if, if that's the vision that they have for their centers, okay, if Bo doesn't really he's, – he's not that archetype of a player. And you go through the guys that they've had in Pittsburgh, you obviously mentioned Crosby and Malkin, but like, just go through their acquisitions, right? If it's Jeff Carter to play the middle, Teddy Bluger has played the middle, Matt Cullen, like guys who are responsible through the middle of the ice, Uh, You don't necessarily see that with Bo outside of winning the face-off. And so for for people of of my faction, it's like, okay, I can understand this. And yesterday's comments, while surprising, follow the actions, excuse me, of of how we've gotten here. Where for a lot of fans that are just saying, hey, he's the captain, he scores goals through and through. Canuck, this is what you have to do. It's getting to a very alarming time. I would just go back to are you winning hockey games? Simple as that. And the Canucks aren't winning hockey games. Haven't won hockey games. And at some point, eras end. And it's it's odd and it sucks uh, for for fans of Horvat and fans of the Canucks. But such is the reality when you don't win games. And you know, I liken it to you know what the Raptors did with Demar Derozan. You can be through and through a a Raptors fan, and Demar bled for the the Raptors. At the, at the end of the day, you got to make what's best, the, the decision what's best for your franchise. And It, it was a reward for the Raptors, and here in Vancouver, you, you have to push towards greatness. And if someone's not doing it for you, the decision gets made for you.
2: I assume that probably leads you to feel like a trade feels more likely than ever at this point for Bo Horvat?
1: Yeah, and I almost just wonder, because you know, there's been some commentary, myself included, just the idea that there would be another chance to – go back to his camp and say, Hey, let's try to make this work. Given the context of what he said yesterday as well, I almost just wonder if that's performative because why play the hand in January of, yep, we're done. Send in your best offers. And does that devalue your best offer? I, I, I sure, I'm sure between now and uh, March 3rd or whenever uh, the, the the transaction goes through, there'll be one more conversation uh, how extensive will that conversation be, though, outside of, hey, we've kind of done it. Have you changed your stance? We can adjust the money marginally, but we have our opinion of where you are. You have your opinion of where you are, and you're having such a fantastic season. You're going to be the person that cashes in big time in free agency. Uh, it, it just feels like Rutherford and company are kind of making that bet of, if you, this, if you produce this season again, sure, that's our bad. Uh, we're, we're betting against that happening.
2: Join with Bick Nazar, a regular Tuesday chat uh, from Sportsnet 650, Canucks post games with Satyar Shah, and of course, uh, host of the People's Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, A few more on the Rutherford press conference. I have to imagine, from a Vancouver fan perspective, even for a a number of people like yourself, Bick, that follow the team and, and monitor them on a daily basis, it has to feel like mixed messaging from Jim Rutherford to hear the phrase major surgery but also retool instead of rebuild. Like to me, that, that feels like you're telling me two different things. You're telling me, look, I see major changes that need to happen here and it's going to be extensive and it's going to be painful at times. But at the same time, I'm not really to go full in on that because I I don't like that word rebuild. I I just want to retool. Is that a fair assessment of how people look at what was said yesterday in those terms?
1: Yeah, I think that's how people are taking it, but you know, the point I've been making since November is like, who cares what we call it? It, it, the actions are what it looks like. And if you get to a situation where you're, you're trading your captain and you're trading your, your best goal scorer or your your highest goal scorer right now, is that a, a retool or a rebuild? Like who cares at that stage? The, the definition of what you're doing looks like it's a rebuild. So you know, the the, the the traditional way is just tear it all down to the studs and just get draft picks and do what essentially Arizona is doing right now. But as he detailed yesterday, like there's elements in risk in every plan, right? Just because you want to do the long-term rebuild, you're not ensuring success. What you are ensuring is everything is in our control, where if we're getting first-round picks, we are the ones making those selections and we are the ones fostering in our environment. That's another bet that our environment is pristine and we're going to get all the processes right, and by year six, year five, whatever timeline you'll we'll put on it, we're going to get it right. But if you slip up at any stage in there, you're not talking about five, six years. You're talking about seven to nine years of getting it all right because you erred in draft picks. Like, and and Canucks fans will say this and say, hey, they got the Ole Levy pick wrong. They got the Jake Furtana pick wrong. That extends your, your timeline of, missing on first round picks and not getting the most out of them. And then you do it the other way and say, well, if we want to acquire, as he mentioned, like 22 year old players or sub 25 of the, the, the age he used uh, yesterday, if you're missing, like there's risk in that, but it's all external risk because you're taking someone else's development plan and trying to inject it into yours. Is there benefits in doing that? Yes. Is there a risk in doing that? Of course, but there's risk in every plan no matter which way you want to slice it. And I think that's the point he was also trying to make yesterday too.
2: Uh, And last one on the, uh, the Rutherford presser and what we heard yesterday when it was the most quoted one, I think of the entire press conference. And that was the, the line of, I thought we were tanking when he says that Bic, who is he talking to? Is he talking to, to Bruce Boudreaux? Is he trying to get a message through to the players? Is it, is it just all of the above or is that just in your mind, how he looks at what's happened this season?
1: Uh, I, I kind of thought it was a joke, uh, to be honest. And, uh, you know, if, if we really want to dissect it, I would say a little bit of everything. And I think it's a recognition of, yeah, this didn't work this year. And I think they're like mostly, I actually say they, it's mostly the management group. They're the ones with the most job security out of out of anyone, right? They're the freshest ones. The players have been here for a while. That's become a bit stale. They haven't committed to Bruce Boudreaux. So he's a bit uh, not living on stable footing. So, when you're Jim Rutherford, you can approach this. And then when you're Patrick Alvin, you can approach the season and say, look, whatever happens, happens. We, we haven't built this in our vision quite just yet. And he tried to kind of make a joke earlier on and he kind of laughed, but it didn't seem like nobody else did. And then I just wonder if that one in particular was another attempt at a joke, but he didn't kind of chuckle with it. But, you know, for, for, for their team building process, if they finish twenty-seven. Yeah, it's a disaster for this year, and, and it's worth critiquing. But is that bad for the Vancouver Canucks? Not really. Whereas some other teams, like if, if Nashville misses the playoffs, that's bad. They traded for Ryan McKenna. They're trying to make the playoffs. The Islanders trying to make the playoffs. The St. Louis Blues trying to make the playoffs. Vancouver, it's like it's nice to make the playoffs, but ultimately, if you end up with the fifth-best lottery odds, that's not a bad outcome, and and they're, they're naturally losing games. I think that's kind of the, the joke he was trying to make. It's Tanker or losing games, whatever you want. The Canucks are getting zero points a lot of nights.
2: Last one on the Canucks before we move to a couple of different topics with you. I'm curious how it's been the last couple of days in Vancouver, having a chance to play yet, but they'll be back in action tomorrow. What's mm-hmm. the, the sentiment been around the team since uh, Gino Ogic passed away?
1: Yeah, no, that was a, a sad one on Sunday. Uh, fans in, in the postgame show, a lot of outpouring of uh, emotion because he's, been such a iconic figure here in vancouver and it it goes with you know so many different uh players that that play that role that off the ice they are such a gentle giant and there's been so many times i've seen them just kind of walking in the, the press area and you know fans might be there and and you just see a bunch of heads turn it's like as soon as he entered a room fans somehow knew and it was just whispers of hey it's gino it's Gino." and anytime it's willing to extend a few minutes to fans and taking time for pictures. There's just so many moments for Canucks fans of why he represented such a, a peak of Canucks fandom. Cause obviously there was success with the team, but it's a short list of players that had equal reciprocation from fans to player and player back to fans uh, in Vancouver. And it was, pretty much universal because he did one of the hardest jobs you can do right you're 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 the team protector you're constantly standing up for teammates you're constantly taking blows and more than anything like uh, it's a combative sport but fans are going to always respect you putting it on the line and very few guys did uh more than gino in the vancouver connects uniform if any and that that perpetual link between the fans and and the player will, will always, always be there. And it was, uh, it was great to see so many stories, just from people like even away from the rink to say, hey, I saw Gino here. He took five minutes for me and it was, you know, made my season. It's the reason that I'm a deeper Canucks fan than I was before. And, and we had so many of those stories coming in on Sunday. And I imagine come Wednesday, tomorrow, uh, there will be a, a, a massive uh, show of support from the fans in the rink as well.
2: A couple more for you, Uh, Bick here, uh, moving over to football, talk a little NFL with you, and this one's kind of, I guess, a a connection, too, between uh, Vancouver and now the NFL. Uh, We get the decision from Nathan Rourke. Uh, He signs a three-year contract with the Jacksonville Mm -hmm. Jaguars. He's uh, taking his one CFL season and uh, heading into uh, the NFL. Now, what did you make of uh, his decision to to go to the NFL and, I guess, in in turn sign with uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars? Yeah,
1: I thought he made a great decision. Um, obviously, look, the the decision to go to the NFL, a chance to to, to make the money, uh, make that jump, and if, if the doors open, you can always make the the, the return. Uh, I thought he made a great decision. I and I think he, he's either just wrapping up with media here in Vancouver. Or he, he spoke just a little while ago. I, I haven't been able to check it out, but you know, it, it's a great spot because Jackson doesn't have a backup quarterback next year, so. Hey, do they draft one? Do they sign one in the free agency? Either way, there's a path to competing for a backup spot. You're not relegated to the practice squad or anything like that. So that's fantastic. You get to work with Doug Peterson, who more than anything outside of his qualifications as you know the, the guy who's been the, the QB whisperer or some, and that sort of stuff, he has job security. That's the important bit. So not only do you get the teaching of it, you also get duration of it. This isn't a scenario where if he went to, you know, Las Vegas, you know, who knows what happens with Josh McDaniels in a year's time. If he goes to uh like the New York Jets or just go on and, and, and through the the entire uh league. And, and you know, Tampa Bay was one that maybe you could land there. Yeah, sure they have Tom Brady leaving and, and they're gonna have openings, but is is Todd Bowles a viable long term head coaching candidate? It's, I think it's a great spot because he gets to sit there, develop with Mike McCoy, who's a QB coach who's had some success in the league as well and then Doug Peterson and they have tenure in Jacksonville. Plus, you know, Trevor Lawrence is awesome. Be be adjacent to greatness. It can work out sometimes. So if you learn some things from Trevor Lawrence as well, I, I thought he picked a perfect spot.
2: And I guess uh, let's talk a bit about uh, wildcard weekend. The Seahawks in the first matchup of the weekend, it feels like Months ago at this point already, but uh, Saturday wasn't all that long ago. They actually walked into halftime with a one-point lead. They had a great second quarter in San Fran. They got a rushing touchdown from Kenneth Walker. Uh, Gino hit DK on that massive 50-yard touchdown pass. And uh, for a second there, I wonder if Seahawks fans were thinking, maybe we're in it to win this thing. But 49ers had different plans, especially when it came to the fourth quarter, Bick.
1: Yeah, it was the fumble, right? Like, the fumble turns the game, yeah. and they got they, they, look, they got it late into the third quarter, and they score on that play, like, even a field goal in that spot, right? You're looking at 23-20, and you're still in this game. The fumble flips it, and seven plays later, you're looking at 31-14, and it's, uh, I, I think it was, like, early fourth quarter when that uh, touchdown was uh, completed. So, now you're only going to get a handful of possessions, and I think they only got three more after that, and so... It, you know, the 49ers choked out that game so fast and so the fumble flips it but honestly that, that's kind of what you expected it's, it's Pete Carroll football like, and and, and that's a philosophy I can kind of subscribe to right always compete and they push it as far as they could there's an obvious talent gap that's why they're 13 wins and that's why the Seahawks had 9 wins there's an obvious talent gap but mostly uh, an impressive performance from Seattle because they, they took a deep and they just won mistake and uh, the the game flips so quickly, but that's what competition is, right? Leave it all on the field, and and for the most part, I would say the Seahawks absolutely did, and now continue to build out.
2: And uh, as you were nice enough to point out to everybody else on Twitter, uh, no one else in the uh, wild card weekend losers bracket uh, has a top five pick to walk into, so that's you know that's too bad for everybody else except for the Seahawks, and I guess now that's kind of where the focus shifts for them is they do have this potential. You know, massive piece for them going forward. And initial reports hearing it, you know, maybe they're okay with bringing back Gino Smith for another year next year. That spot's an interesting one because, and again, as you've pointed out on Twitter, it's not the worst idea for Seattle to maybe look to trade back here and add a couple more assets in return for that pick.
1: Yeah, you know, more than anything, I, like, Gino earned it. And I I just wonder, like, what that sells to your rest of your group to watch this guy come from in the situation that he did, right? This isn't just someone taking over a a starting QB spot. This is someone taking over for Russell Wilson, who had won a Super Bowl there. Like, the entry point for Geno Smith was terrible. And he succeeded and proved to everyone that he can do this with a rebuilding squad, right? This is rookie tackles rookie running back they're still building this out there was inconsistency in the running game and Gino was fantastic this year not even just relative to expectation he legit was good and i think it'd be a really bad message to the rest of the group of hey here we are we're trying to do this but we're going to draft a quarterback at the first sign uh we can uh it, it's an obviously a great opportunity at fifth overall to draft someone pivotal but they have major holes all across the roster i'm okay giving gino one or two more seasons to say, Hey, as we build this out, this gets better. And you get more familiarity. Remember it's a new offensive coordinator. He wasn't promised the gig until late in the preseason. So we'll give him a full offseason to work with everyone. What does it look like coming back? So he's earned it. I'm okay with them saying, Hey, let's trade back. And if we get a 2024 first rounder with the Heisman trophy winner is going to be in that Caleb Williams, Drake may looks fantastic. Uh, why not leave ourselves with the opportunity to get our guy in 2024 because you playing good. Uh, I think that's a, that's a sound strategy.
2: Uh, last but not least, uh, other than the Seahawks, biggest takeaways from wildcard weekend?
1: Uh, the chargers remain unserious. Uh, okay. Thanks, we'll,
2: uh, we'll talk to you later. Appreciate you uh, coming on. Thanks so much. You're a chargers guy. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately.
1: Look, I, I want to love the Chargers. We were having to laugh about this in our office. Like, yeah, so, to, so, so do Chargers.
2: I, Bick. So do I. <laughs> we
1: oh, it's like the baby blues. You got Justin Herbert. It's in L.A. Like, there's no reason to not want to love the Chargers. And yet, how does this keep happening? Like, I, I saw a funny tweet. It's like from uh, from a Falcons fan. It's like I'm a Falcons fan, and I don't know how Chargers fans do it. Like, what were you thinking when it was 27 nothing?
2: I honestly, and I'm dead serious about this. You can ask the other 20 people that texted me. I told them this game's not over.
1: Yeah. Okay. Isn't that crazy? And yet here I am talking about the Seahawks or look, I'm a Seahawks fan. I was like, Hey, look, they competed. I kind of knew what was going to happen. They're always going to be in the game. And they were up against like the number two seed, fantastic defense. And yet I still felt that I had a chance. You're up 27, nothing. And it's like, Hey, this game isn't over. That's like, that's the mindset. And I don't know how you break that. I'm sure it's a not, it's not-so-dissimilar conversation that we have in Vancouver with the Canucks. Like, I don't know how you break that mindset as a fan.
2: A lot of drinking, mostly. <laughs> um, general depression. Is, you know, you just try to, uh, uh, why to Henry, wait it out. right? Yeah, exactly. If anything good news today, it doesn't sound like they're getting rid of Staley. They fired uh, offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi and quarterbacks coach Shane Day. And at least the the only hope I have now is that somebody might actually be able to use Justin Herbert in a more realistic role than he has been the last two years. Because for him to be like 33rd on downfield passing yards is, yeah. is an unbelievable joke for the kind of talent and arm talent that that guy has. Whether or not it fixes the Chargers being the Chargers, I have no idea. I've yet to see that ever happen in my life. But at least at least that gives me some hope.
1: It's it's about practice. I was begging them in the offseason, trade for Brandon Cooks. And now it's like, do it again. Get get someone who can get downfield
2: on this team. I'm begging them. It would be a, a nice surprise. They used to have a couple guys like that, but no one in uh, Justin's time. Uh, Bick, appreciate the time as always, man. Have yourself a great show. Uh, we'll check in with you again next week, pal.
1: Yeah, we'll see what the soap opera of the Canucks, uh, produces in, in a
2: week's time. <laughs> Take care, man. Have a good week. Thanks thanks. Big Nazar joining us from SportsNet 650. A regular Tuesday spot checking in all things, Canucks, NFL, Seattle Seahawks, uh, everything with Big Nazar. SportsNet 650, he's the host of the Canucks post game show with Santhire Shaw and of course the host of the People's show uh, as well on SportsNet 650 you can find him on Twitter. At Bick Nazar. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. We'll dive back into the Flames and the Predators from last night. The 2 1 loss for the Calgary Flames. Uh, their five game point streak comes to an end. Their uh, road swing comes to an end as well. And now the Colorado Avalanche in town for a matchup on Wednesday night. That's coming up next on Hour 2, Sportsnet 960. The fan.